Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Here we go, Exodus chapter 3. Getting in the Word. Gonna do it. Um, In the morning sessions, we're going to be talking about how to have faith for God's calling on our life. And so before we get into the details of today's sermon, I think it's wise for us to begin by defining what calling means, all right? I think we say the word calling, and it, it can mean a lot of different things in our vernacular, I think we often use it um, in our contemporary world to describe what profession it is that we're supposed to go into. I think that's how we probably use it the most often, like to, to, to describe how passionate you feel about your profession, like it's my life's calling to do, be an accountant and do taxes. I mean, I, but we talk about this calling, about this, this, this pulling towards the, the thing and the work of our life that we feel passionate about. But there's also a biblical way to look at calling, and I want to make sure that we set that straight before we get into it. And so, um, obviously in Scripture, we know that the word call can mean to label or name something, right? I call you Tavita. That's your name. I call you that, right? And so, um, when Adam was naming all of the animals in God's creation, it says, whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. So, the word call gets used to describe when we name or label something. Genesis chapter 4, verse 26 says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Seth called his son Enos. Now, another use of the word call in Scripture is to proclaim, to proclaim. It has a unique, this, this use of the word call has a unique connection to the attribution of praise. All right, so in that very same verse, Genesis chapter 4, 26, and and to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So we see both uses of this word here, to label something, and then to call upon the name of the Lord is to proclaim the glory of the Lord or to attribute to him the worship that he deserves to call upon him, to proclaim him, to make him known both in our hearts and with our mouths. The third use, the third example of calling in Scripture is the invitation of God, when God invites us into something. More specifically, when he calls men and creation, mankind, into a saving faith. When he calls humanity, he's calling them to salvation. Not only that, he's calling us to sanctification. He's calling us to liberation, to be set free. He's calling us to blessing. And he's calling us to live in light of his grace. And so that use of the word call is God drawing us in or inviting us into relationship with him and to be bathed in the glory of his grace. 2 Timothy 2, chapter 1, verse 8 says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us, listen, 
and called us with an holy calling, not according to works. Okay, it's not based on anything you can do, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's through the message of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he's invited the whole world, that whosoever believes, right, might enter into the calling that he's called us to, okay? So that's the third use of the word calling. But this morning, we're going to be looking at a fourth example of calling in Scripture, which is connected to what I'm going to refer to as divine enlistment, right? Um, a divine enlistment, which is, a, is, is God is asking us to join ourselves to him. God has asked you to fulfill his great work on this earth. That's what he's asked you to do. And so, man, in God's mind, he saved you unto something. In God's mind, if you've received the calling of his salvation and you've accepted that, that you've accepted that invitation, now you need to recognize that you've been enlisted into his army, right? You've been enlisted. And that's what you're supposed to join yourself to. And that is more important, and doing that work is more important than any other calling that you could ever imagine. So put aside all of your passions God's got a work for, for you that he wants to give you a true passion about, a divine passion for. Now, as we, as we acknowledged last night, in this room, we've got all kinds of people. All kinds of people dealing with all kinds of stuff. And yet there are people here that are brand new followers of Christ. I met, I met Thomas this morning. Dude got saved on Monday, came to, re, came to retreat on Thursday. Pretty amazing. And there's several of you who've received Jesus Christ just recently. It's new to you. All of this is new. And you've just signed up for discipleship. And it's like, that's new. That's new. That's like, man, it's challenging. And, it's, and you have zeal and you have passion. You're excited about all the things that God is going to do in your life. God has a calling to, for you. He has a calling on your life. You sense, and you might even sense that challenge. You might sense that calling. But he wants you to go deeper and deeper and give your life meaning and purpose and for you to discover a life's worth of discoveries about who he is. There are some of you who have been around a while. You've been around for a minute. You've been a part of Living Faith Lee Summit or you've been at Harvest since you were a kid. You've been at Midtown for a while now or whatever and you're, you've been there and you've been doing this stuff. But here's the deal. You need to also trust God for what it means to be a leader. He's calling you. He's calling you to go deeper. And you can hear that call on your life. Now, you might be challenging that because you've got other things that you feel passionate about, but it doesn't change the fact that God is calling you to go deeper and to lead. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to, to, to determine that you're going to be a leader. That's what that means. So you can't shut him out. And some of you are struggling with that. There are some being called to the mission field. 
God wants to enlist you to go deeper, and he's calling you to the mission field, and you feel the burden of church planting on your life. Some of you feel called to the pastorate. Some of you feel, feel called to go and do foreign missions or, or to be a part of the next church plant work or, or whatever it might be. You feel the call. You feel the pressure on your life that God is enlisting you for more, that there's more work ahead of you. You can feel that. You can sense that, but you can't make sense of it. You don't know the next steps. It feels ambiguous. It feels confusing. But nonetheless, God's calling you. There are some people here this week who aren't even Christians. And you got invited here because you know for a fact, okay, everybody knows it. No one's saying it overtly. But your friend's trying to convert you to Christianity. That's why you're here. Like, let's not lie about it. I mean, this is fun and all, but come on. Sit and listen to the guys talk for two hours. Now listen, we're trying to convince you of something. There's no way around it. We're trying to convince you that your way is not the right way. <laughs> that chasing the, the purposes and passions of this world actually bring no fulfillment whatsoever. And you already know that. You know that. You're just lying to yourself and convincing yourself that you're happy when you're not. And you know, and I know, that when you lay in bed at night, you have no answers. So we're, you're here for us to convince you that the word of God is, has a better way. And that there's, listen, and that there's a calling on your life. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to earth, not for these guys, but for you. He, he, he left his crown behind to come here and to save you personally. That's how much he loves you. And so there's no way around it. God is calling you to relationship with him. Now listen, no matter where you are in relation to Christ and his calling, you better believe that he is calling you. He wants you to go further in your faith, and he wants you to receive your calling with joy. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Moses and the burning bush, and we're going to ask ourselves a couple things, okay? So if you're taking notes... We're going to ask ourselves a couple things. Question number one, what does it mean to have faith when God calls us? What's it mean to have faith when God calls us? It's not up there. I'm just reading it. You write it down. What, is it, what does it mean to have faith to believe when God is calling us to do something more, to be stretched further, to step out further? How do we have faith for that? And the other question would be, what does it mean to have faith for whatever lies before me? No matter what it is that's before me now, how do I have faith for that? All right. Intro done. Let's pray. Turn to Exodus chapter 3 and be ready. We're going to dig in. Whatever lies before me, that's, that's the name of the sermon. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. Um, God, I know you've got a lot ahead of us. It's, it's so interesting. At all the cycles in my own life, from complacency and comfort to being challenged, to being tested, to being refined, to being called out, all the conviction that I felt in my life <laughs> over you know, things that I never could have foreseen. And you've twisted and turned my life into exactly, you know, despite 
at times the kicking and screaming. You've twisted my life and turned it into exactly what you want. You've refined it. And, and uh, so, Lord, today I'm, you know, I might be excited about that call. Tomorrow I might not be. But nonetheless, Lord, in your grace, you're calling me. You're enlisting me. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to refine us and make us vessels fit for the work. This is a room full of people from all different backgrounds, from all different experiences, all different understandings of faith and Christianity. And Lord, I just pray that for all of us, we would recognize that there is a will that stands over our life. There is a commissioning. There is a work to be done. And we, we don't get to twist you and conform you to what we want. We have to obey you. And so Lord, speak, speak truth to us. Show us from your word who we're supposed to be and give us the faith necessary to say yes. I pray it in Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're going to paint a story of an ancient Egyptian dilemma. It's a problem. It's a problem. In Genesis, uh, at the end of Genesis, it closes out this narrative of the life of a man named Joseph. <clears throat> you guys familiar with Joseph? Some of you might be, some of you might not be. But Joseph, uh, jo- Joseph was a mighty man in Egypt. He was a ruler. He had clout, okay? He was running stuff, all right? And he had, he had created a situation in which this wicked Egyptian government uh, could provide the needs of the Is- Israeli people, God's people. And so under the banner of the Egyptians, the Egyptians were ba- basically bankrolling the Israelites and allowing them a place to live and safety and provision and everything that they needed because of Joseph's leadership. God used a mighty man in a wicked place to preserve God's people. But at the end of Genesis, it closes out, and as, as we move into Exodus chapter 1, some time has passed, and the Egyptians, Egyptians have kind of forgotten who Joseph is and, 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 and the, the power and the authority that the Israelites had in the land of Egypt, it has dwindled. And they are now being manipulated and used by the Egyptians to achieve all the, the worldly ambitions that they have. So I'm going to start here in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. Now these, days are the names, uh, now these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt. Every man in his household came with Jacob. Okay, Jacob being Joseph's father. Reuben, Simeon. Levi and Judah, Issachar and Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already, and Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation, and the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, didn't even know his name. He'd been forgotten just in a couple generations. And he said unto his people, behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Like how, like there are so many Israelites, they're taken over and we as the Egyptians, we should probably be concerned about them. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when there, when there falleth out any war, they join also our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters, okay, S- slave drivers, right? 
Men that were willing to assert authority and force them in, through authoritarianism, force them into slave labor. So therefore they did sit over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramses. And the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Right? Remember Bebe's kids? Remember that? Do you remember that from the early 90s? About the guy that was like dating that girl. It's a cartoon. It's like a grown-up cartoon. This is not in my notes. But um, Bebe is like taking care of these, these wild children for the day. Phenomenal, super funny. But they're insane. They're like these terrible children. And there's a statement in the movie. You should watch it. I don't know where. It's probably not on Netflix. This is like a forgotten film. Is it on BET? <laughs> that shows you about my interests, okay? I often find out the things that I really like are just on BET. I just need to be on BET. Um, but the, one of the statements that Bebe makes about the kids in the, in the movie is, they don't die, they multiply. Like, they just keep coming, Right? That's true in the story. I don't know why I went there. I'm sorry. There was a throwback moment. But, man, when there's pressure and when there's persecution, I mean, it's the same thing we see in Acts. When there's pressure on the Christians, they multiplied. When there was persecution, their faith increased and things multiplied. That's what's happening right here. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, so they just intensified the persecution, and they made them do more and more work. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. And all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. So the Egyptians are making life hard on the Israelites. But that wasn't enough for them, okay? Because the Israelites just got stronger, okay? They just multiplied. So it wasn't enough. The next thing that they needed to do was decree to extinguish all the newborn boys in order to address the, uh, the, the population increase issue, okay? So for in their mind, if they can eliminate the number of men in Israel, then they can decrease the amount of reproduction taking place. And so they make a decree, and they say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to kill all the firstborn boys. I mean, Satan is in the business of killing, by the way. That's not, nothing different today either. I mean, right now in our society, there's a war over whether or not we should kill children. And Satan's goal is to extinguish fatherhood in an entire population of our community and of our world. He's trying to wipe it out, trying to wipe out fatherhood. Same plan, different place. So what they do is that they, they make this decree in Egypt. Exodus 1.15 and the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrews' midwives, Hebrew midwives. Okay, midwives are like the women that are in charge of helping other people. Guys don't know this stuff. A midwife, let me say, a midwife helps women give birth and take care of the baby. Okay? JJ did some midwife work recently. It's midwife work. It's midwife work. There were, there were no doulas. There weren't doulas. You helped... You helped Lisa give birth to a baby. You were there. You were present. You were present. You were holding her hand. You were there encouraging her. 
That's what you were doing. <laughs> how, many, how many hours of labor? Um, 72 hours of labor. <laughs> that's, some, that's some hard work. I mean, not as hard as what Lisa was doing. <laughs> but you were there. Okay, so, but it's someone who helps give birth to babies, right? Now, these midwives were being employed. They were being tasked by the king of Egypt to deal with this issue of, of the boys. Okay, so, and the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shipra, and the name of the other, Puah, and that's a weird name, Puah. And he said, when ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, they're giving birth. If it be a son, then ye shall kill him. Can you freaking imagine that? But if it be a daughter, then, they, then she shall live. But here's the deal. The midwives, like J.J., feared God. So they chose to obey God rather than Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 2, 1. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a child. And when she saw him that he was goodly a goodly child, she hid him three months. Okay, so, so here's this mom. She has a baby. The Israelites are finding ways to keep their kids, all right? She hides this baby for three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes. So she made a little boat and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child there and she laid it in, in the flags by the riverbank. So the plan here, okay, so here's the deal. The plan that this woman has, she sees, she's got this baby boy, she wants to protect him. She puts him in a tiny little boat. She pushes him out into the water, okay? Now her daughter is nearby and she's kind of following as the baby moves down the stream and the baby washes up Again, this is the plan. This is the plan. This woman, she's conniving. She's smart, okay? And the, 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 the little ark, it comes down and it lands in the bulrushes near where the princess, the, kid, the pharaoh's daughter, is hanging out and washing herself and getting ready for the day. I don't know what, the, I don't know what women do. Cleaning up, right? So she's out there doing that. Her and all of her maidens, right? And so they're hanging out and this baby shows up she hears the baby crying. What woman doesn't love a baby, right? She picks the baby up. She's like, oh, there's a pretty little baby. Her heart is immediately knit to the child. The sister of this child is nearby. And then they have this conversation where the princess is like, well, I need, a, I need someone who can help me nurse this child. I need someone to help me take care. Do you know of an Israelite woman that could help me do this? She's like, yeah, I happen to know a lady. All right? And so she makes the connection, and then, and then this young boy's life is preserved. And then he's raised as a prince in the house of Pharaoh. And his, mo and his mother gets to take care of him. So he lives in this dual reality. He has a mingled existence, doesn't he? He lives as a prince to Pharaoh. And he's trained, and he's brought up, and he's learning all the ways of this wicked people. He's learning the culture, but at the same time, he's learning from his true mother the ways of the Israelites and how to worship God. And he lives this mingled existence, exactly what we talked about. 
Now, the thing about this dude is that he felt that there was a mingled reality in his life. He felt commingled. And it was hard for him to live that way. The conviction was so strong in him. And this is what we should be feeling too. We should feel this conviction. We should feel the fact that we're double-minded people. We should understand, like, I'm living a lukewarm existence. There has to be more to this. God is calling me out to something more. And we should feel that burden as well. And that's what Moses felt. And so he saw the oppression of his people, and it really began to bother him. It bothered him greatly. And it left him with a great deal of guilt and frustration because of how he was living. And this frustration, it got the best of him. And it resulted in a terrible disaster. Exodus 2.11. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out, uh, out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. Oh, man. I mean, you can imagine. He's living like a king, but his people are suffering. And he sees it, and he's burdened, and he spied an Egyptian smiting, in Hebrew, one of his brethren. And that wasn't just an Israelite. It was one of his brethren, right? This was his people. And he looked this way and that. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. This was the only answer he had. And he, went out, and he went out the second day trying to play it off, trying to play it cool. Get the sand off, clean your hands, go about your business. Maybe no one knows, right? I mean, and in the moment, you got to think, he felt probably a lot of relief. He thought he did the right thing. But then, but then his sin comes up against him. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the, of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him, that, that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over this? Okay, so the Israelites, they recognize, they recognize who Moses is. Okay? And they're angry. They're frustrated. And they said, we don't need you. Who do you think you are going around killing people? We don't need you to act as our judge. They reject him. Why? Why? Because in their mind, he represents the enemy. What are you coming out here acting like one of us for? Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And so Moses feared. And said, surely this thing is known. Everybody knows about this. I'm done for. And when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Okay, so you're saying to yourself right now, thanks, Brandon, but I saw the prince of Egypt. (laughs) So... I already know this story, so pick it up a little bit here. Uh, So what's my point? Here's our first point. The first point we have to to make deals directly with our own insecurities and the issues of our past, our mistakes. And it goes like this, key point. Whatever lies behind you, whatever lies behind you does not define the calling before you. 
whatever lies behind you in your past has no authority in your life now to define the calling that lies before you. Many of us, many of us are under the perception that our mistakes and failures and sin disqualify us from being used by God. We think this way. We, we, you know, okay, I got saved, and I'm so thankful that God saved me from my sin. Whew. Okay, but what, what, what's the deal here? You have yet, you have yet absolved yourself of the sin. I mean, maybe God has forgiven you, but you haven't forgiven yourself. And so what happens is you move forward in your faith, you go through discipleship, you're in the church, and you always doubt that God could use you like he uses so-and-so over there. I mean, I love the Lord, and I love being a part of what's going on. I know he's growing me. I know he's stretching me, but I could never, be, I could never do what that person's doing in ministry. I could never be used like that because, man, I just the baggage I got. I mean, my family, it's just so jacked. Or like that sin, sometimes it still haunts me. I still think about those sins and, I, and sometimes I long for them and it makes me feel yucky and there's just no way that God could use me. There's no way I'm qualified. And you're just like Moses. Afraid, ashamed, despising yourself, refusing the call that lies before you. But here's the deal. God is really, in a weird way, interest, interestingly drawn to people who acknowledge their own failure and weakness. And God likes to convince the losers in life that he can make something great of them yet. He likes doing that. It's a weird thing about God. The more you despise yourself, in some ways, the more qualified you are to be used. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 126 says, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that... It's like saying, hey, check this out. Acknowledge this phenomenon in the church. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Have you ever noticed that? That it's the base people? The people that, that have a story, that have a background, that have a baggage, that have been broken, that have suffered, that have been through pain who have all these terrible experiences, that God like somehow likes to call them. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Oh, I'm not smart enough. I did terrible at school. How, how could I learn the Bible the way Dan knows the Bible when I did so terrible at school? I mean, I went through all those English classes and I didn't read a single one of those books. I faked it every time. It took a lot of work. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. But I managed to get it done. Right? And you say, I'm just not, I'm not smart enough to learn the Bible the way that these are. I, I've got all these issues. I've got all these problems. I, I'm, I'm an addict. I'm an addict. I'm, I'm addicted to, like... If I had my way right now, I'd just be high all the time. Hey, don't actually clip that out. Like, out of context, that can be really bad. <laughs> but some of y'all think that way. Like, 
And if I, if I was just around my old friends, I know that I'd fall back into that. I'm just too weak. I'm too weak. I can't. I can't do it. I can't, I can't move forward in faith. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound things that are mighty and base things of the world and things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, not what? Not anything. Things that are not, things that are void, things that are empty, things that, are, that, that seem, seem worthless, of no value, things that are not, to bring to not, beautiful, King James, man, to bring to not, to bring into light, to bring into reality, to bring to fulfillment, things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. It's not about your baggage. It's about his glory. God's redemptive work for your life does not stop at salvation. He wants to take your rotten past and refine it in the present in order to reshape it for the future. He wants to take your rotten past and refine it in the present right now for a future work that he has before you. In Moses, we have a man who has a wicked past. And in his mind, he is just thankful to have escaped his old life. All he wants is a fresh start and to live life with no drama. And, that, and some of you, that's like the motivation of your Christianity. It's like if, you, if Christianity could just make me happy, it's no different than what we're talking about. You're using your Christianity, you're using your salvation to choose comfort. It's given you escape from, from the wicked that was behind you, but now you're just comfortable. It's like, Phew. And that's, that's this dude here. No drama, he's happy. But that's not going to last because God has something more for him. So let's keep analyzing. Let's keep analyzing. Exodus 3.1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Okay, so in our story, things have unfolded. We skipped over some things. He gets married, marries into a good family. Score, right? Jethro, uh, his father-in-law, is the priest king of Midian, which is a tribe of Abraham. And he served under Jethro for 40 years as a shepherd. Got a good job, good family, right? Things making a little money, got some money in my pocket. And the cool thing about being a shepherd is I don't have to talk to nobody. I hang out with the sheep all day. I go out into the pasture. I go walk around, feed them, quiet, no drama, no drama at all. It's a humble job. Humble job, but lots of solitude. Now, while Moses could never anticipate what was coming in this moment, it's significant to note that God seems to call people who are busy. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? God seems to call people who are busy. Okay, so here's the deal. God called Gideon while he threshed the grain. While he's out there threshing the grain, God calls many. He's busy. He's busy doing the work. He calls Samuel. Samuel was serving in the tabernacle. Remember that? 
He called David while David tended the sheep. And he called the apostles while they are fishing. Here's an old ministry principle that I think applies here, and I think it's worth noting, and it makes my point. I used to hear this when I first started coming around KCBT. I can't remember the first person who said it. it may have been Dan. I don't know. But, it, but it's this idea that it's hard to steer a parked car, isn't it? It's, it's hard to steer a parked car. It's hard to give it direction. You try to turn the steering wheel and... Like, it's just, it's difficult to do. So what do I mean by that? What I mean, what I mean is that if you apply your foot to the gas and in faith give your car forward momentum, if you apply your hand to the plow, if you choose to, to do the work, that along the way that God is going to steer you where he wants you. And then I wanna, but the, the point I'm making to you is that you can't receive a call. You can't get any, any new data. You, how, how could you ever expect to go into a new direction if all you're doing is sitting there? You want God's call on your life. You want to know which way to go. You want clarity over your situation. And yet, you're not even moving. How can he use that? How can he steer that? Many of you are asking, I wonder what God wants to do with my life. You know, I'm young. I'm ambitious. I've got all kinds of ideas. What is God? I wonder what God has for me. You ask those questions, but you've not yet yielded yourself to the simple work of ministry. Too many of us are daydreaming about our future, but are failing to serve soberly right now. How can God steer you towards a future plan when you're withholding your current service to him? How can he do that? He's not going to bless that. Here's our key point. Faith in your present calling. Faith in your present calling. Okay, that implies the fact that there is a present calling. That there's a calling on your life right now. It's called the Great Commission. There's a calling on you. There's a burden on you to do something, to minister there's a will for your life. Faith in the present calling anticipates faith for a future calling. The future calling, whatever it might be, requires that you have faith for the calling right now. You know, I never could have imagined uh, my current life. I was talking to, to Dan about this on the way down. Dan and Eric, Eric might have been sleeping, I don't know. He was in and out there for a while. But I was talking about this very thing. Like, I could have never imagined that I would be doing, like, what I'm doing right this moment. Like, 18-year-old version of me would have been horrified by this. But here's the problem. I had a plan for my life. I had a plan. That's fine. I had a plan. I thought I knew what I was doing. But what happened was I got discipled. And what happened was I helped my pastor with a church plan. And what happened was he put me to work. And what happened was then I was asked to work with youth. And so I started doing middle school ministry and I started doing high school ministry. And then what happened was I started to love it. And then what happened was I quit my job and I became a teacher. And what happened was I started preaching the gospel at school. 
And what happened was I saw people get saved and I saw disciples made. And what happened was I became a pastor. I didn't know. I looked around. I was like, how did this happen? I could have, I could have never expected this. This is not the story I would have written. But I'm the happiest I've ever been in my whole life. Because in my ignorance, and despite the fact that my life was so stupid, guys, you don't even know. I mean, some of you know. The baggage of my life. I mean, guys, my family is straight out of Jerry Springer. Y'all don't even know what that means. Judge Judy? Yes. Judge Brown? Judge Brown. Um, my, my life was so jacked. In my mind, if I could have a good job and a good marriage, I would have just been content. Like, if I could have just, like, my, look, my bar was real low. My bar was real low. I just wanted to be a better dad than my dad was. And, and so I went to church and I did the things that I was supposed to do and the thing was that God turned my whole life upside down and he turned me into something. I'm still, I'm still low, I'm still dumb. I still have no right doing any of this. I'm completely disqualified for this but he turned my life into something that was so much greater than I could ever imagine. And it brings me so much joy. But I could have never gotten there if, if, if it wasn't for the fact that at some point in humility I said, yeah, Sam, I'll do that. What do you, you want me to push the broom? I can do that. Little did I know, pushing a broom around a room and cleaning up would have ruined my whole life. So here's the question. What has he called you to right now? What are you worried about tomorrow for? What are you worrying about 10 years from now for? Are you crazy? You know you can't see that. Don't even, don't even play like you know. What does he got you doing right now? What is the ministry task before you now? Who is the person that he's called you to invest in right now? God's future calling on your life is contingent on whether or not you've chosen to be faithful with the task at hand. Do you have faith for your present calling? Listen, does your prayer life reflect sobriety about God's work in your life in this moment? Here's a, everybody loves a good Kenny Morgan quote. Amen? Amen. So I wrote this down after a conversation with Kenny the other day. I was like, oh, that's good. I'm stealing that. So here's the deal. This is what he said to me the other day. And he wasn't, this, he wasn't like preaching. When I hang out with Kenny, he's not like in a pulpit and I'm in a chair. And he's like <laughs> preaching at me. We're just conversing. We're talking about ministry and about stuff that we see happening in ministry a lot of times. And he made this observation. This is, really, this is key. If you are not content in ministry then you are not making foolproof of your ministry, which is the command, you know, to make foolproof of the ministry. So if you're not content in it, 
and you're not embracing what God's given you now, if you're not content in it, then you're not making foolproof of it. And if you're not making foolproof of your ministry, then why would God entrust you with anything more? Oh, you want more. You want to do that job over there. You got something better in mind. If you're not content in what you're doing right now, you're not making foolproof of your ministry. And if you haven't proven out your ministry calling now, then why would he give you anything more? Greedy. You're greedy. Quit being so greedy. Be content. If we're honest, many of us want God to call us. We want God to call us because we're trying to escape what he's already called us to. Isn't that crazy? It's like when you're hanging out with your friends on a Friday night, but you'd rather be with those other friends who are having a better time, and you're just waiting for them to call you and tell you what's up. You can't just enjoy your friends right now. You're like, I'm going to go hang out with those cooler friends. I'm just waiting for a text. It's crazy. It's crazy. Many of us want God to call us Because all we're trying to do is escape what he's called us to already. Just look in front of you. That's what he's called you to do. So with the spirit of discontentment, we begin making our own way. You start looking for a sign, don't you? And this is how it works. You start looking for a sign. There's a sign that I'm supposed to do anything but this. You start reading your Bible like a Ouija board. You start getting superstitious with God. You start reading your Bible like a Ouija board because you're looking for evidence that God wants you to do anything else other than what you're doing right now. That he just got to take, just take, this is, this no, not this church, God, that church. Show me. I got to go over there. I want to be over there because it's whatever, whatever reasons. Oh, not, not this ministry, God, that ministry over there. Just, just show me. There's got to be a page. There's got to be a place. Oh, that's not it. Let's turn the page. Oh, okay. Oh, that'll work. I can manipulate that. That'll do. I'll take that to my pastor next week and prove to him why I should be doing more, or why he should be giving me a Bible study, or why I should already be discipling by now, or why he needs to give me the pulpit, or why I should be leading that ministry and that so-and-so is not doing a good job, or why I need to leave the church and go do something else, or why I need to go to college in another city because, you know, I, I, this church, I, I know that, that you guys are training people over here, but, you know, they, there's a better thing over there. That's what we do because we're not content. Too many of us are striving to get all of our questions answered right now. God, tell me now. God, tell me now. Tell me now. Who's my wife? Who's my husband? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? What's my career? Where am I supposed to go? We're freaking spazzes. (laughs) Too many of us are looking for promotion and ministry, and we start campaigning to get our way. We start, we start, hey, don't you think, hey, well, don't you think I'd be good? I, I'd be really good at this. Over, you, think I'd be? you start campaigning and you move, you're moving around and you're like, and, you're, and you sit down with your Bible study leader and I feel really, I just want you to know, I feel really called to do that. And they're like, I don't see it. You haven't even finished discipleship yet. What do you mean? You, you want to go, go start your own church? You haven't even finished discipleship. What are you talking about? But we start campaigning, and we start negotiating, 
And we start negotiating with God in prayer. And instead of talking with God, we talk at God. And we start telling him what we're going to do. And then we walk away because we've prayed about it. And we say, hey, you know, God confirmed that I'm supposed to... Lion sack of crap. You were telling God what you were going to do the whole time. See, not enough of us are willing to simply serve him until he reveals himself. So here's the deal. I wonder what we would be like in our fellowship of churches if our college and young adult ministries were full of young people who zealously and contentedly served God with no expectations other than to obey him. What could God do with this? Look around. What could God do in Blue Springs with what? A half a row of college and young adult ministries, or ministers. What could he do with y'all if you would simply say, hey, Tom, I want to serve. Show me where to go. Point the way, and I'll do it with joy. I'll do it with faith. Just show me. Where's the broom? And then you let God promote you and move you and steer you as you went along your way. What would happen if Living Faith Lee Summit, every student, every, every college student, every young adult in that ministry simply said, Blade, damn, what should I do? I'm open to a missions trip. Where should I go? How can I help in Tampa? Just tell me. Just, I'll do whatever they need me to do. Tell me what, what, what needs to be done right now. Because what I recognize is that this is not just your ministry, Blade. This is my ministry. And I, I, I too take ownership for what's going on. This is my ministry. I own it. And I'm going to contentedly and zealously do whatever God has before me. What would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. God would start steering you in a way. and He'd take you on a path that you could never for yourself imagine. Ever. You dream too low. Your bar is too low. Your expectations too low. That's small potatoes. God's got way more. But he's not going to reveal it to you unless you, with joy, do what he's got before you right now. I'm confident that among a people like this, that he would be pleased to call out and raise up hundreds of disciples, hundreds of evangelists, hundreds of pastors, hundreds of missionaries. I'm confident that he could and would do this if you say yes to him now. But if we're always looking to make things happen, and if in our pride we tell God what we want, and in fear we despise what God is doing in other people's lives, and in restlessness we force our agenda, how could God bless such an arrogant people? How could he do it? He can't, and he won't. He won't. And we, just like every other church in America, will die a slow death, patting ourselves on the back all the way. God forbid. Serve him, and serve him with joy. So here we see Moses just serving. And then God shows up. Exodus 3.1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, 
the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. So an unassuming man doing an unassuming job in an unassuming place, that is, until he encounters the mountain of God. Just another day, walking through the wilderness, doing my thing, until he encounters God. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. So as many of you know, the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. Right? When we see that figure, the angel of the Lord, this is actually Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. And here he takes the specific form of a flame. Pretty wild. Uh, explain that to me theologically, Brandon. Explain to me how that works. I can't. He's Jesus. He shows up kind of when he wants to, and he can look any way he wants to. And here we have the angel of the Lord presenting himself as a burning flame inside of a bush. It's a flame that is engulfing a bush, and yet the bush remains unravaged, which defies all natural law. You ever watch stuff burn? It seems to disintegrate as it burns. The bush, that's not happening. So it's a pretty amazing thing that's happening. It's a miracle. Now, the inspirational picture for us should be clear. The bush pictures what God has in store for Moses. Moses was just like the bush. Weak and unassuming. Until the flame of God transformed him into something extraordinary. Here's our key point. Whatever God has ahead of you will require being full of his spirit. Whatever God has before you, whatever that calling might be, wherever he's steering you, whatever direction you might go, it will require the power of his spirit. We know from Acts chapter 2 that the spirit is a flame of fire. So the illusion is that by the power of Christ's spirit, he desires to have complete use and control of Moses' life. You guys see that? It's a foreshadowing. The bush is a foreshadowing of what Moses will become when he lets the spirit of God control him. Completely unravaged, but completely engulfed in the power of God. And he desires the same thing for us. Did you know that? It's only by voluntarily relying on the power of God that one can truly be effective for Christ. You can't do it in your flesh. That's the point. You can't do it in your flesh. You can't, by your own volition, become smart and awesome and amazing. Because you're not. You're not. We've already established that. How did you make that jump so quick? You were stupid one day. I hate myself. I can't. The next day, you're like, I'm the best thing ever. Everybody should love me. Posting selfies all over the Instagrams. Thinking you're the best. God can't use that. He's asking that you would submit yourself to him. Surrender your life. Now, we're going to come back to this theme tomorrow, this idea of reliance. But what we should know right now is that the apostle acts purposed to let go of his pride and downplay the gifting in his flesh in order to be more perfectly demonstrating 
the power of God among those he ministered to. So check this out. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Everybody look at the verse. And I, brethren, to the church in Corinth, right? I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So here's the deal. In our weakness, we must understand that whatever the calling, we will only be as effective as our ability to rely on the power of the Spirit for his strength. It's not in your ability. It's not in your strength. You're not going to be awesome. Look, at this whole business of ministry, I just want you to know right up front, I am a fraud. I'm not good at this. Y'all should have seen. The very, I think Dan was probably there the very first time I preached at the jail. He was probably there with me. I, at 19, 20 years old, they got me, pre, Dan's convinced me somehow that I'm supposed to go to the local jail as a, as a 19, 20-year-old kid and preach to 60-year-old black men who are like way further along in life, way more experienced. Like, I look like an idiot. And they got me up there preaching. <laughs> I'm like, all right, gentlemen, uh, please turn your Bibles to uh, John 3.16. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't know. I, look, I'm a fraud. That's not the point. The point is that I yielded. The point is that I, 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 didn't, I didn't try. I chose not to be a tryhard. I let myself be foolish. I let myself be weak. Now, did it hurt my pride? I'm sure, because I'm fleshly and there's sin just all, all through me. I got sin. But I chose to defy my inclinations, which would be like, heck no, not doing that. I defied that in weakness, and God chose to use me, and he made a plan for my life. He used those things. Galatians chapter 5 teaches us that it's through the death of self and the mortification of your flesh that he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. The power to walk in Christ. Pretty amazing. But we have to yield ourselves. We'll come back to that tomorrow. We won't spend a lot of time there. Verse 3. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Okay, so Moses catches a glimpse of what's happening, and he's intrigued. He turns over to look at it to ensure that his eyes aren't deceiving him. Now, it's this curiosity and wonder that invited God's calling on his life. Verse 4. And when the, listen, listen to this. This is really important. I don't want to lose you. I've got like 27 more points, okay? So you got to hang in there. I really don't. I'm joking. You guys got real afraid there. But you got to hang with me. Okay, listen to what I'm about to share with you. Read this passage with me. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. See the, see the contingency there? And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. 
I wonder how many of us are afraid that God is passing us by. That's what we're saying. Son of David, don't pass me by. God, please don't pass me by. I need you. I'm, I'm desperate. I'm, I need to hear from you. I need a call on my life. How many of us are afraid that God might pass us by? But the truth is, when you pass God by. Oh, God, don't pass me by. Oh, God, please, don't pass me by. Don't leave me alone. Give me a call. I've got to know what your purpose is for my life. And there's a burning bush, and we walk right past it. Why? Because we're liars, and because at the end of the day, we're afraid to actually receive what he's giving us. I wonder how many of us struggle to hear God's call on our life because we struggle to listen be curious about him. Moses was curious. What the heck? What's this about? And in the moment that he engaged in curiosity, the voice came. How many of us, how many of us struggle to hear God's call in our life because we struggle to be curious about who he is? We want his personal call for, his, for our life, but we don't want to be bothered with the spectacle of his power. We want his call. We want his guiding hand. We want his guiding, we want him to lead us, but we aren't interested in his glorious power. Oh, well, what does that mean? What do you mean by that, Brandon? I mean, that sounds, okay, listen. What's happened to our awe for God? What's happened What's happened to our awe and wonder of who Christ is? I think this is most often evident, evident in our approach to God's word. We want God's vision for our lives, but listen, but we fail to look for his will in the pages of the Bible. I mean, he's not stopped speaking to you. <laughs> he's not stopped doing miracles all around you all the time. He's constantly showing you how amazing he is. Did anybody else take a moment last night at the bonfire to just stop and look up? Did you freak out by the number of stars that you could see? Did you not say to yourself how vast and mighty and great the universe is? Did you not remind yourself of just how powerful God is? And that he created all of that with the words and the breath of his mouth? He spoke it into being? You just pass it by. Oh, God, give me your vision for my life. What you mean is, God, give me a wife, give me a job, give me what I want. Shut your mouth. Where is your awe and wonder for who he is? Can you not turn and see the spectacle of his glory? Can you not stop for a moment and simply see how wonderful he is and that he's doing miracles and he's speaking out to you and he's simply waiting for you to turn and give your attention to him? He can't give you a calling because he doesn't have your attention.
How many of us can't hear God's plan for our life because we refuse to see his will for our lives? Are you curious about the simple things of God? Do you love a good word study? Do you freak out when you see the word not used twice in the same verse in different ways? Do you not love the punctuation of Scripture? Do you not love the fact that a man was swallowed by a whale and three days later spit out on the shoreline? Does that not blow your mind? And that in that story you can see yourself and that that's actually about you and that Jonah went through all that because God had a message for you? Does that not blow your mind? It's because you forgot to have awe and wonder for the mighty God who's your friend. You forgot. Oh, God, give me your plan for my life. I just need clarity. I've got so many questions for you. I have so many things that need to be answered. And he's like, come walk with me through the cosmos. Now, listen to what God has to say to Moses because next he gives us a clear insight into our ability to understand God's call for our lives. So so here, let's continue on. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither. Okay, don't come too close. Put uh, Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Well, that's weird. That's weird. He asked him, look, don't come any closer until you take your shoes off. Some of y'all have houses like this. You're weird. Okay, you're weird for this. It's 2022. People wear shoes, okay? You don't like it, buy a Roomba. Get a Roomba, that'll take care of all the mess. But people don't want to reveal their socks. They don't want to come to your house and, sh- and walk around. Look how stupid I look right now. <laughs> I look stupid. I look like I live here. Do you want me to move into? I can, fill, I can bring my stuff in. If, I, if we're getting this cozy, you gotta, can you make me a little pallet in the corner over there? I'll lay down and bring my dog. Crazy people with the shoe taking off. I said, but this is holy ground. Before you come into my, this is a holy ground. So listen to what's going on here, though, because that's not that. So God, in his holiness, says to Moses, don't come any closer. Because I'm holy. I'm holy. And I'm too holy for you. And the state that you're in, you're not ready to come into my presence. You're not ready. Now we know that in this time frame, Christ hasn't come yet, right? And so righteousness or holiness was not made perfect in mankind or in Moses because Christ has not yet given his life. 
You understand that? Dispensationally speaking. So their holiness was conditional to their faith and obedience. Their holiness was ascribed only at the level that they were willing to obey. Right? But now we know that for us as Christians, that through salvation, God has made us holy. He has made us righteous. Through his son, Jesus Christ, we are invited to approach. Romans 5.19, check this out. For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. But by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We're made righteous. We're made holy by one man. That's Jesus Christ. It's because of our salvation and the holiness that's been attributed to us that we can now come before the living God as holy. Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in, in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we are holy. We are holy. He's made us holy. Listen, listen. And yet, and yet, he continues to make us holy. We are holy. And yet, and yet, we are not yet holy. You have sin. You have problems. You have things that you need to repent of. You've got issues you need to deal with before the living God. Why? Because he's making you holy. He's making you holy. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love not your wives. Or love not. That's what you get when you're going too fast. Worried about time. Sorry, babe, I didn't mean that. I love you. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. He's making us holy. He's refining us, and he's drawing us closer and closer to him. There's a need for us to acknowledge that God is holy, and our lack of holiness puts us at odds with his character and with his calling. Key point. Key point. Whatever God has ahead of you, it's going to require holiness. Oh, I want, his, I want his calling on my life. Okay, it's going to require holiness. The holiness of his son was imparted to you, but the holiness of sanctification is being imparted to you. Moses, Moses could only approach God when his heart posture and obedience came in accordance with the holy standard of God's presence. And some of us, listen, here's the call out. Okay, you want to call? Here it comes. Okay, some of us are too flippant with God. Our lack of reverence and fear of God keeps us from getting close enough to hear his call. Your attitude towards God is like, flip it. It's like no big deal. Like Jesus, he's my buddy. He's my friend. We talk sometimes. This is the creator of the universe that we're talking about. 
He's been holy. You just got made holy. He's been holy since before time. And he deserves more than your flippant attitude. This has to be more than a casual relationship. He sits on a throne. There are beings in our universe that constantly, throughout all of time and all of history, have attributed to him glory and praise and righteousness nonstop for fathoms and epics. You've lived for 25 years and you think you can approach him with casuality? Crazy. He is a holy and righteous God. And we ought to approach him with holiness. And you shouldn't expect some sort of calling or handout or privilege simply because you received his son, Jesus Christ. Spoiled brats is what we are. How, how could he possibly give you more? When you're not willing to say, God, I'm wrong and you are right. And whatever you ask of me, that I will do. And if you want me to take my shoes off as I, as I come before you, I'll do it. If you want me to raise my hands while we're doing praise, I'll set my pride down and do it. If you want me to bow my knee and pray in any given moment, regardless of how awkward it is, I'll do it. If you want my time and energy, if you want me to quit my job, I'll do it. Why? Because I want to be holy with you. I want to be holy with you. I don't want to teach, uh, treat you with casualty. I want to treat you as the living God that you are. And some of us are holding on to sin. And our sin is an impediment to the calling that he wants to give us. He's waiting for you to take off your shoes, to set them aside, and come before him in obedience. If we want to be ready to receive a call, we need to prepare ourselves by repenting from sin, mortifying our flesh, and laying claim on the goodness of God. Verse 6, Moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Read that for what it is. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've seen it and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows, I know them. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and Hivites and the Jebusites. So the Lord began to share his heart. Isn't that interesting? Moses, it's funny, Moses didn't just come in there and say, okay, I got some things to talk to you about. Now that I have your attention. No, what happens here is that, is that Christ begins to share his heart with Moses. He heard the burden. He heard the burden of his people. The God, the God of the universe heard the burden of his people and was moved by compassion for his people. It was God's will that Israel always be a light to the world. And yet their current state was a hindrance to that true calling. His heart was burdened, and it was time that Moses listened. It was time that he listened. 
Listen to my heart. Hear me. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. And I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What's he say in verse 9? Now therefore, behold. Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Here's my heart, Moses. Behold it. Behold my burden. Behold my will. Behold my plan. Behold it. Behold it. See it for what it is. See it for what it is. He says, look and see the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me. He's inviting Moses to commune and agree with him over the burden. This, this is a commissioning, a great commissioning. Come now, therefore, and take counsel with me. Come join me in this burden. Let me share my heart with you. And for us to understand our calling is to understand that he has called all of us to live the great commission and share his burden. Not just because he says so, but because we too are compelled by what God is compelled by. Can you share his heart? Key point. Whatever is moving God's heart should also move yours. Whatever moves God's heart should also move yours. I mean, how can you have a calling? How can you have a calling that's of God unless it's of God? It's got to be of God. It's got to be of his heart. It's got to be of his he's not. He's not going to give you something to do. He's not going to give you any particular life without any real purpose. It's got to serve the need. It's got to serve the commission. He's not a genie. He's not granting wishes. That's not, that's not his business. He says, hey, 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 now, therefore, behold. Therefore, behold. Are you sensitive to God's word and God's spirit? Are you? Are you? Are you sensitive? God wants us to have his heart, which means to understand things as he sees them and to gain his perspective. Are we sensitive to his heart? Do we weep for souls? Are we burdened by the, the lostness and the darkness? Did I just lose power? There it is. Back. Are we? Are we sensitive? Okay, here we go. Let's land this plane. Verse 10, come now therefore. Here's the calling. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. You'll do what? You're going to do what? Come now. Okay, you heard my heart, right? You heard what I have to say. Behold my heart. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What? I'm not going back there. That's what you want me to do? You think I can just waltz into to Pharaoh's palace 
and say, uh, yeah, by the way, I'm taking a million Israelites and we're, we're leaving now. That's it? That's the call. Christ is like, look, do you see my heart or not? Behold my heart. Come now, therefore. Here's the key point. Whatever God has ahead of you will be too great for you. I told you, you set your bar way too low. Your Christian faith, you know, you think this is like an achievement right here. What I'm saying to you is, are you really ready to receive his calling? Are you really ready to do that? I mean, like, be honest with yourself. You want him to speak to you. You want him to give you a calling. You want a vision for your life. You want to know what you're supposed to do with your life. You want to have purpose. You want to be passionate about something. Listen to me. If that's true, be ready. Because what he calls you to, you're not ready for. It's way too big for you. But he can do it. But he can do it, and he wants to. He wants to do it. I'm looking at a room full of people. I have no idea where you'll be in 10 years. But I know this. If we are willing to receive God at the level of his calling and the way that he wants to give a calling, if we're willing to do that, 20 years from now, this room will still be worshiping God and you will be all over the world. You will be leading in Blue Springs and Lee Summit in North Kansas City. You'll be discipling. You'll be evangelizing. You'll have, some of you will have gray hair just like, you'll be my age. You'll literally, you'll be my age. And you'll have gray hair coming into your beard. No, women won't have gray hair in their beard. <laughs> maybe, maybe some of you. You know, when when you hit menopause, all kinds of things happen. I... <laughs> Listen to me. This room will be full of ministers, leaders. And you'll be all over. You'll be in, you'll be in California and Colorado. You'll be in Vietnam and India. You'll be serving the Lord with faith and he will have taken you places that you never could have imagined for yourself. Quit setting the bar so low. Quit making demands on God. Quit living by your expectations. Submit to his holiness. Submit to the awe and wonder of who he is. Serve him right now. And he'll do, he'll do amazing, amazing and wild things with your life. Every year we do this fall retreat. And there are faces that I don't see the next year. And not always because they've been sent. Actually, usually because there are people in the room today that will turn away and you will develop your own calling. And you will not be satisfied by it. I promise you that. I'm old enough. I know the stories. I've seen it time and time again. This is your opportunity to consecrate yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ 
to lay down your arms, to put down your burdens, to put down the baggage and say, yes, God, wherever you take me, I believe in you. You are the one. You are the only one. You are my very breath, and I will pour out my praise to you, and you lead me wherever you want, and I will follow. I will do that. That's what we need today. Let's pray. Worship team, come up. I'm going to turn it over to Blade. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. You're so good. <laughs> I love your calling on my life. Where I'll be in 10 years, I have no idea, God. I love your calling on my life. I love what I'm doing right now. I want to serve you with everything I have. Fill me full of faith. Fill me with your faith. I want to believe you for more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not content. I know you have more. I know that, I know that there's more before me. And I'm saying, Lord, whatever lies before me, yes. Whatever lies before me, yes. Just, God, you just have to go with me. That's the only thing I ask. Just go with me. Abide with me. Help. In Jesus' name, amen. today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.